Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. All righty. Can we give God a great clap today? Just worthy of all our praise. So good to be here at Milestone. My wife, Kathy, with me. 43 years married, you go, well, how are you married? 43 years, you look 23. Okay, now, I've known Jeff Brandy uh, since before they had children. Uh, Jed, Sarah, so many here, so many friends, always good to be here in Milestone. I do have to say, Texas has my favorite barbecue in the world, so it's no sacrifice to come here. I also want to welcome our online audience, Hazlitt McKinney Campus, thank you for joining us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for a milestone family. I thank you, Lord, for the season we find ourselves in. The world grows more complex by the day. Lord, I thank you you're with us. I thank you for the manifestation of your presence. I thank you for Betsy's prayer at the end of worship. I receive that. And I pray you draw near to us today. And you'd help us draw near to you. We were created to need your presence. We need it, Lord, and we thank you for it. Amen. I'm going to entitle this message, Times of Refreshing. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Now we know through the work of Christ, God can be found through his son anytime. Through the work of Christ, we've been able to draw near. But there are unique times in history where God draws nearer than normal. The Bible calls them times of refreshing. In fact, in Acts 2, 15 through 18, Peter's preaching and says they're cut to the heart. And he says this. He says, if you'll just repent, times of refreshing from the presence of God will come to you. Now, historians call them revivals, religious awakenings, outpourings. When I say revival, I don't mean maybe a revival service in the church. But they're all describing a, a period of time where God draws near a city a nation. Now it's interesting, this God we serve is both transcendent, I mean by that, exalted above and beyond all of his creation. Yet he's also imminent, present in time and space. But there are unique times in history. Times that, when you look back at the history of the United States, at every critical juncture in our history, beginning with the period before the Revolutionary War, We've had a time of refreshing. We've had a time where God has just uniquely drawn near to our country before the Civil War, after the Civil War, before the great wars of World War I, World War II, right during the 60s into the 70s when the nation was so polarized. And once again, we find ourselves in a time like that. 
Maybe you've heard the story of this Asbury. You've heard of this Asbury College. Raise your hand if you have. I have friends there, faculty friends there. Let me describe. So what is this time of refreshing like? In a time of refreshing, God draws nearer than we normally experience him. God's always near, but he manifests that nearness in unusual ways. When you talk about a time of refreshing, you talk about a time where God comes so close that the people of God are renewed and revived and those that don't know him are deeply touched. How many of you could say there was a time in my life when I felt God unusually? Just raise your hand. Some moment in your life where the presence of God just came. Just imagine that in the hyper. Imagine God's presence bleeding out of the invisible into the visible world and you tangibly feel it. Time after time in American history, that's happened before. This little Asbury, that's close to Kathy and I's house. It's a little town of 6,000 people with a small university and seminary. And a few, they had their chapel. A few students stayed behind, began to kind of worship, felt more and more of God, began to get on text message and social media, invite their friends. And three weeks later, it finally ended as thousands were pouring over the campus and there were two and a half mile lines of cars and every room was flooded. Why? Because God just showed up unusually. Wasn't about the perfect preacher and I love preaching. Just one of those moments where God made himself so known. I think on TikTok, I've never looked at it. There were a hundred million hits on that link. All over the world, people flying in. Why? One of the last great times like this in American history started in 1959 and went really to the end of the 80s, early 90s. There's a film out now called Jesus Revolutions, deeply touching. And I lived in Southern California during that time. Our schools were torn, our universities torn, pain everywhere. And the next thing I knew, kids in my high school just began to be saved. It just swept through my high school like a river. We at lunch, two to 300 of us would just worship during lunch. Up the freeway from me, 90 miles, one small church was baptizing a thousand young people every week. We've come to such a time as this. All across our country now, there are evidences, there are signs that God is manifesting his presence unusually. What does that mean for you? If we're in a time, as Isaiah talks about, call upon him while he's near, how can you experience that? Why would you want to? Having had some interesting times of closeness to God. And once you've experienced his presence, when I lay dying from hepatitis, which I contracted in the jungles in a war zone as a young Christian worker, I mean, I was just dying. The next thing I knew in the middle of the night, it, and I grew up, you know, in the Pacific Ocean in California, it's like the ocean poured down into my room. It was the presence of God. I woke up the next morning healed from hepatitis. This, this God, who's transcendent yet eminent, when he draws close to you. I've, I've had the privilege of praying for leaders and people all over the world. 
atheists and every type of leader, dictators. I've watched atheists who don't even acknowledge God tear up and shake when they felt his presence. How might you participate in this? How many of you feel like, I'd like more of God, raise your hand. Okay, let me talk to you very practically about how to do that. Beloved, may I tell you, I've been married over 43 years. My wife's my best friend, we're still in love. I'm blessed with great siblings, kids, deep friendships, lifetime friendships with great men of God. But may I tell you, there's nothing like being touched by God. It's why Cain said when he murdered his brother, he said, you've cast me out of your presence. It's more than I can bear. I want to help you practically experience more of God. America's had more of these seasons than any other nation over the last 150 to 200 years. But they're rare. And as God draws closer and closer to us and you feel more and more of his presence in worship, how do you respond to that? Let me just ask you a few questions. First of all, are you a committed member of a local church? Well, why would that be important? Acts 2, 1 through 4, when we find this kind of original time of refreshing, they were all in one place. If you were, they were having church. They were in a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, a giant wind blew in. There were tongues of fire on their head. The rest is history. They fell in love with lost people like never before, and the world was changed. But you understand that when God comes, he typically comes first in a place where he's worshiped and loved, where he's reverenced. And one of the reasons it's so important to be a committed part of a local church is that typically where God lands is places like local churches. Christian colleges, of course, now he's spreading out around colleges and universities across the country. It says in Acts 2.42, speaking of this group of people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. May I tell you, this is an hour to commit yourself to every opportunity you have in this church. Whether it's meeting God and serving, whether it's small group, whether it's some of the classes, the steps into the church, whether it's these services, just don't miss a moment. In moments like these, to make yourself available corporately and individually to God becomes critical. You say, well, why is it so important? Because moments like these in history are rare. About every 50 years in America, something like this happens, and you'll watch it grow. Also, the church is critical, according to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, because it gives people like, you know, Pastor Jeff and many of the other great pastors here. Why? To equip you. We're not here just to help you worship. We're here to equip you to go home and worship, to go home and experience him. Next question. Are you committed to creating an atmosphere both corporately and personally which is conducive to the realities of this season? What do I mean? When you look at the Old Testament, there are things called theopanies. That's a big theological word that means God just manifests himself. He just reveals himself. And many times in the Bible, it's interesting, 
God reveals himself in thunderstorms. As Texans, how many of you know thunderstorms are real? Now, when you begin, there's a why a thunderstorm? Because there's thunder, because there's lightning, and because there's rain. And when God comes, his voice is amplified, the darkness is pierced by light, and typically there is a deluge. He rains on something. Now, when you begin to study thunderstorms, and as I've prayed over this and pondered this, I talked to a brilliant meteorologist, National Weather Service, now a professor in university. He said, Jim, let me tell you about thunderstorms. There are re- there's a reason they're typically only in the South. He said, anyone that's not a meteorologist watches the clouds, but meteorologists know it's not much to do with clouds. It's all to do with the conditions on the ground. And what is on the ground determines what happens in that cloud. Is those cumulus clouds begin to stack up into a pillar. That's nice, pillar of the cloud. What determines it, Jim, is the temperature of the ground and the moisture. And he says, as a Christian, let me tell you this. It is the heat of worship. It is the heat of prayer. It is the heat of love for God. It is the, it is the passion for God that touches God's presence in such a way that it rains down in a city. Now, practically, what does that mean? If you wanted more of God, what would you do? How would you act, both corporately and individually? Let me ask some questions about that. When are you a worshiper? Like, why is that important? John 4.23 says, Jesus is speaking, there's an hour coming where true worshipers will worship my dad in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So God, he's, he's looking for something. It's not about ethnicity, it's not about gender, it's not about demography. God says, I'm looking to find men and women who are worshipers. What's that mean? Well, worship is synonymous in John 4 with when he told the woman at the well, drink of me. He said, I'm looking for people who want more of me. I'm looking for people who make time for me. I'm looking for people who make space for me. I'll be proud. I'm looking for people who worship me, not just musically, but they just offer their life to me. I'm not the world's greatest singer, and if I tried to lead worship, we'd probably have an exodus. But the fact of it is, God loves the joyful noise. And as much as I love worshiping with you, I worship every day. Every day I sing choruses. Every day I sing old hymns. Why? That's what he's looking for. And he's worthy of it. Now, let's go a little deeper. Are you waiting on the Lord? Now, the word waiting doesn't work well in our society right now. How many of you, not anyone really wants to wait? The Bible says this, have you not not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Young people shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. 
but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagle. They'll run and not be weary, walk and not faint. What's that mean? This thing called waiting on the Lord renews you. That means there's something you can practice that will renew you from the inside out. Do not reduce your life to body and soul. Don't reduce your life to this is my physiological makeup and I've got a brain and I've got emotions. Because you don't just have a body and a soul, you have a spirit. It's that part of you made alive in Christ and connected to God and connected to the Trinity and it's through that spirit that the joy of God, the peace of God, the power of God, Paul says, I feel like my body's falling apart, but my spirit is being renewed every day. How do you do that? What's this waiting deal? Like, what's it mean? It's obviously important because if you wait, something is renewed in you. If you'll just learn to wait, and I don't mean just another great message from your, your preaching team here. I mean, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can position yourself where you're being renewed every day, your hope, your strength. When the doctors, when the doctors told me, how many of you know the only thing worse than your doctor telling you you're done is your Christian doctor telling you you're done? Then it's like God and man has given up on you. I was young, four small kids, and shattered my health in the jungles, and God had touched me. Now I'm sick again, autoimmune before they knew what it was. And my Christian doctor goes, don't know what to do for you. Said, just quit work for two years. That doesn't work with four small children. And I went away and realized there's just no medical answers for this. I was getting rheumatoid arthritis at 30-something. And I had some messed up knees already from parachute jumping in the military. I didn't know what to do. I was in so much pain I couldn't sleep at night. But I began to realize that if I would just wait on the Lord, there is a healer, there is a God that's what's impossible with man is possible with God. And I would just quiet my soul and begin to wait and begin to worship and literally as the numbness would move down my body, the very life of God would move up and drive it away. Now let's be practical for a moment. Why don't more of this wait? Because when we've tried, we don't get much from it. Well, Pastor Jim, I've tried that waiting thing. I kind of closed my eyes and, you know, I've closed my eyes when I read the Bible and woke up about 15 minutes later. <laughs> it's just not working for me. Okay, let me help you. Let me ask you another question. Are you in a dialogue or a monologue with God? which has been practical. Is your relationship one with God where you do all the talking and that's gotten less and less because you never hear back? Or is there a flow between the two of you? I mean, you're in a great church. I've, been, I've, I've known Pastor Jeff before he was even here. Tremendous church. But other than Saturday nights or Sundays or small group, is there a dialogue going on? Are you feeling God's presence? Are you experiencing it? And I want to show you how that works because this is one of those moments where it's easier to do. John 10, 3 says this. To him, the gatekeeper opens. 
The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. Part of your birthright, this is not just for pastors or evangelists or teachers. If you're a sheep, that means that born again, blood washed, submitted to Christ, you can hear his voice. He will communicate with you. And this is critical. As much as I love to spend time with my wife or a dear friend or my 92-year-old mom or my beloved sister, there's nothing in this world like a dialogue with your heavenly father through his written word primarily and by his spirit. How's that work? Jesus goes on to say in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, but they'll run from a stranger. May I tell you, many Christians run from the will of God, not because they're rebellious, but because God's a stranger to them. They don't really know him. Don't really know his word. Now, if you were going to have a dialogue with God, have you ever wondered why when Becky's leading us in worship, it gets quiet sometimes? Why, like, why? What are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for God to touch you. We're waiting for God's, for you to feel his presence. It's why we wait here. It's why we get quiet here. So if God was gonna have a dialogue with you, how might it work? We know from the book of Job, God says, I speak to a man or a woman now one way, then another, but they don't hear me. You think, well, if God would just speak to me audibly, maybe I'd listen. Well, he tried that with Samuel. Samuel. Remember Samuel's asleep? Samuel goes up, yes, Eli. Okay, how could it be? Let me just talk about four of the ways God dialogues with you. Number one, the most important, through the verse of Scripture. Bible's incredible. It's the inspired word of God. It's the final authority that judges our conduct in life. Jesus was in the wilderness battling with the devil. If you remember Matthew 4 and, the, and Luke as well, he has this big conflict with the enemy. No matter what the enemy says, he only answers with scripture. Enemy says, he fasted 40 days and he goes, hey, if you're hungry, turn those rocks into bread. Bread wouldn't have gotten me. But if he just said, Jimmy, if you're hungry, turn those rocks into cheeseburgers, I'd have given in to the devil. Anyway, now, so Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it's written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In every encounter with the enemy, Jesus used scripture. One of the great things I've found in my life is many, many times when I'm in crisis and I'm quieting my soul, all of a sudden, a verse of scripture just comes to my mind. The exact right scripture. I'm, whether it was Kathy facing cancer or holding a dying son or, or one son born premature and neonatal. I cannot count the times and moments of crisis in my life where a scripture's come to my mind. You go, Pastor, well, not many scriptures are coming to my mind. Well, I might ask just politely, how many scriptures have you put in your mind for God to work with? That doesn't really work by osmosis. One of the reasons you read the Bible, 
You say, Pastor, I read the Bible this week, didn't get a thing out of it. Reading the Bible is not about your immediate need to get something. It's about storing up the word of God so for the rest of your life, God draws something to speak to you about. That word you come, that word you come. I've heard many reports about my health. I'm, I'm facing multiple friends that I love allegedly dying right now. And if they go to heaven, so be it, but not without a fight. No matter what I hear, God says, I am the Lord that heals you. I've sent my word and healed you and delivered you from death. Are you storing up that word? Because when you do, at key times in your life, when you've quieted your soul and waited on him, that word will come. He also communicates with you viscerally. That's a big word that means deep in your emotions you experience God. How many of you felt God's love before? Okay. How many of you felt maybe God's grief when you sinned? Yes, me too. I don't like that as much. I'll never forget we were first married, and of course, I was perfectly righteous. She was in process, and I can't remember somehow, even though I was perfect, she'd aggravated me, and I, and I, and I, and I you know, I, of course, great Christian home. I, I, I put in her place, listen, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm always right. And I walked away and I felt really sad. Well, how could I be sad? I just said such a smart thing. And I got sadder and sadder. And the next thing I realized, God was really sad with me and I better not do that again. He didn't have to say a thing. I was grief stricken. All through the Bible, you find God sharing his emotions with people. Jeremiah said, your word's like a fire in me. It burns if I don't preach it. You hear things like, the burden of the Lord was on me. The hand of the Lord was on me. The spirit of the Lord was on me. And God will communicate with you viscerally. His pleasure, his pain, his presence. The Holy Spirit's the little umpire in your home. You may think you're right and your spouse is wrong. Let the Holy Spirit umpire that for a bit. And that grief you're feeling could be telling you you're wrong even if you're right. This is rhetorical, don't raise your hand. Maybe you've been sitting in your home doing, occupying yourself with some important thing like binge watching your favorite TV program, working on your phone, looking at something very important on Facebook. And all of a sudden, you just feel the presence of God. You go, huh, I'm not in church, why am I feeling that? Could be, even though you've chosen to turn him off, he's vibrating you. He may want your attention. Lots of you have felt God's spirit at unexpected times. And when you do, may I encourage you to say, what do you need? What do you want? What can I, Lord, what can I do for you? With Kathy and I, our mornings start and our evenings end with him. It is our practice of decades. She walks around the house and she prays herself to sleep before she, she finally gets into bed. I'm quietly waiting and praying. Well, she wouldn't say quietly. She says, I pray very, very noisily. I've never thought that was true. Maybe it's because I'm partially deaf from artillery rounds. But you know, the fact of it is, when I got my new Apple Watch, 
I was praying and singing in my melodious voice, and a big ear appeared on my Apple Watch and said, you're damaging your hearing. Anyway, I admitted after 40 years she was right. Now, so the Holy Spirit just comes. He'll also come vocally. You say, oh, that's wild. Well, in 1 Kings 19, 12 through 13, it says, you know, Elijah's kind of downcast, didn't really work. Jezebel wanted to kill him. There was a wind, an earthquake, a fire. God wasn't there. But then there was a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, the voice came. God does whisper into your conscious mind. You go, oh, is that in the Bible? Just all over the Bible. Well, how do you know it's God? How do you know the voice of your mama? Well, the more you hear it, the more you recognize it. And yes, it follows the word. I can give you the rules, but God will talk. Why is he whisper? Because it forces you to focus. It forces you to quiet down on the inside. Forces you to slow down. And when his voice speaks, it silences everything else. I told this story before when uh, Kathy had cancer, and we, we talk about it, but it's, it's just a life lesson. I had four small children, doctors say, Mr. Lathoon, we're sorry. They were treating her cancer, thyroid cancer. She had a stroke when they were treating her, and he says, Mr. Thune, I've got bad news for you. We think your wife has brain cancer. We'll tell you in the morning, go home and see your children and get a good night's sleep. He hadn't been hired for bedside manner. I'm in the car driving back. I'm just flooded with this peace. I keep trying to pray and the Lord says, don't pray. I said, I rebuke you, devil. I'm gonna pray for my wife. He said, you're wasting your time. I go, what's that mean? She's fine. And she was. But that whisper quelled the pain of my soul. God doesn't talk to me because I'm a pastor. God talks to me because I'm his kid, just like you. And when you learn to quiet your soul, you learn to quiet down. Scripture will come to you. His presence will come to you. I could add visually, I'm going skip on here, but there are times God will give you little images on your imagination, and I could tell you so many stories of that. Now, may I ask, are you walking in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? In Luke 24, 49, Jesus told his disciples, I mean, they'd gone through the resurrection, they'd seen all his miracles. He said, listen, I'm going up to my dad, but I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive the power. Yes, the Holy Spirit, when you were born again, came to live inside of you and make you new. But he'll also bathe you in his power, empower you to be a witness, empower you, giving you the gifts of the Spirit. It's why in Acts 19, 2 through 6, when Paul saw this small group of disciples in Ephesus, he said, Did you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? They go, We've not even heard about him. He laid hands on them, and the Spirit empowered them. Jesus said this. 
And the disciples couldn't comprehend it. I would have wondered myself. He said this, it's better that you don't have me physically anymore. Because when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come and lead you and live in you and guide you and empower you. But let me tell you two things about this Holy Spirit. You don't want to grieve him. You don't want to quench him. So important in times like these. Let me talk about that before we close. Have you ever wondered why the Lord chose a dove as the symbol of the third person, the Trinity? Any of you hunters know doves aren't like the most brutal uh, bird. They're not like a big predator. I thought, Lord, why not a condor? Maybe an eagle or just like some big powerful bird. of Why a dove? Kathy loves her bird feeders and we got lots of birds and doves are bigger than most of the birds but they're scared of all the other birds. Squirrels chase them away. I mean, they don't seem much good except at the table. Sorry for you bird lovers. And I thought to myself, Lord, why doves? So I'm trying to show my people how tender and gentle I am. That's why the Bible says, don't grieve him. What grieves him? Your sin. Especially when you don't repent. It's why typically in moments like this, when the Holy Spirit comes on people, they're crying and all of a sudden things they never saw as wrong, they're seeing as wrong. When my wife and I were dating many, many decades ago, the Lord said there's going to be two or three rules that run your home. One is you'll never go to bed mad. That wasn't always easy. We had many, many long nights together of intense fellowship. But we begin to realize, why would we? Because if you go to bed angry and bitterness and resentment come, it grieves the Holy Spirit. We wanted to have a home where God was happy to be there and our children could be raised in that presence. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. That's a pretty powerful word out of 1 Thessalonians. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Quench means to put something out. You say, Jim, how could I quench the spirit? By ignoring him when he wants your time. By when you feel that nudge, come spend time with me. Come spend time with me. And you resist. The last thing I'll say, then I'll summarize this, is I talk about as much as you're in an extraordinary habitat here and God's presence is there, you got to make this a habit at home. Because if you don't, your reflex in crisis and pain won't be to go up to God, it'll be go down in discouragement. Can you bring this home? I've traveled the world. lived in war, been in crazy countries, sat before dictators, looked leaders in the eyes, sat in the Syrian border and heard the stories of death and killing and ISIS. But I'm telling you, the presence of God is the most powerful amazing thing I've ever experienced. There's nothing like it. 
And through Jesus, you can know him and find him. But there are unique times in human history where he manifests unusually, typically around crisis. How many of you know our country's been in crisis? Our world's in crisis. Country divided, hurting. What about banks? What about the economy? What about the next election? It's typically in moments like these in our history where God just shows up, where God just manifests. You might say, Pastor, I need more of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. Raise your hand if that's you. Put him up and then pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I open my life to you. I need more of your presence, more of your power. I give you myself freshly today. I want you to quiet your soul a moment. I'm going to pray. Lord, this is my milestone family. Been here from the very beginning. What an honor it's been to watch this church grow and develop. But now I pray over every aspect of this church and the lives of the people who call it home an increased sense of your presence, an increased dynamic of your power. Draw us nearer. Help us find you. Invade our neighborhoods. Pervade our schools and campuses and where we work. Let's pray this all together now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come upon us in a fresh way. Empower us to do your work. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.